Welcome back, students, to Revive School. This is Lesson 88 in the historical books, 1 Chronicles chapter 6. We've been going through this genealogy for these multiple chapters at the beginning of this book, and we have come to the tribe of Levi. Uh, guys, what am I doing? Pointing. Pointing. All the way through chapter 6 with the tribe of Levi... Pointing is what I sensed from the Lord this morning as we were getting ready, is this tribe points to Christ. It points to the living God all the way through everything about their being, everything about their ministry points to the living God. And when they miss out on that, we miss out on it. So the tribe of Levi has three sons. Chapter 6, verse 1, Levi has three sons. Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. I, we're going to be having a huge, big picture of this whole tribe here in just a second. But I want to draw out very quickly, if I can, a, a kind of a sketch so you can see the scope of this entire uh, tribe. It's got a wide range of characters. There's, there's incredible names like Moses and Samuel. And then there's some... Not so great names like the sons of Aaron, the sons of Eli, the sons of Samuel. And we identify the three sons really as clans. So we have Gershom, we have Kohath. Oh, I'm going to put Kohath over here for our, our uh, purposes. And we have Merari. Kind of like a Ferrari. Kind of like a Ferrari. What's really important for us to understand is that from the tribe of Kohath comes Aaron. Why is Aaron important, Kevin? He's designated as the high priest by God. Absolutely. Everything for the high priest must come from the clan of Kohath through the family of Aaron. So everything from Aaron is going to point to the high priests. So the priesthood here. All three of the tribes are going to feed in to other purposes of general temple duties. General and temple duties. There's multiple things that are going to happen there. And out of those three tribes are going to come something unique here in the midst of Chronicles, and that's the musicians. But the musicians are absolutely wonderful and uh, ongoing names. We're going to see them in a lot of different places, even as we go on from uh, First Chronicles. We're going to see them a lot in Psalms as well as several other places. But if you've got this picture, you've got a very good overview of where we're going with First Chronicles chapter 6. And by David's time, there's going to be this line of musicians that's going to carry on a long, long time. So, because of the function of the temple, 
because of the roles that they have, understanding this tribe is important. And if understanding is correct, this is the tribe of Ezra. If you notice, even, you know, we're starting here with the beginning of the tribe of Levi. If you go all the way through, you'll notice Ezra right here. He's looking back and the importance of the whole tribe that is pointing to Christ. Kohath is one of the sons. He has several sons. We see them listed in verse 2 of Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. These first descendants of Kohath provide us that all-important line of the high priests. And when we see uh, descendants of the father, the son follows, but sometimes the, the chronicler is going to skip some generations for us. So keep that in mind. But there is an importancy in the whole line of high priests because we're coming over here, Kohath to Amram. We're going to have this whole line of high priests. And even though some generations may be skipped, we have Aaron, the priest, when the temple is first erected or tabernacle is first erected. We have Zadok the priest who is in charge when the first temple is erected. And we have the priest who saw the temple destroyed, Jehozadak. From Amram's children, we get Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. Okay, Kevin, good question for you. Can Moses serve as high priest? No. No. Can Miriam or any of her descendants serve as high priest? No. No. It's only through the tribe of, or the family of Aaron. And Aaron's sons are all listed here, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. That's verse 3. Nabab and Abihu, they do not do very well. They bring strange fire. We don't fully understand what strange fire is, but we've talked about that, and that element of bringing contraband, basically, into the tabernacle, and they are destroyed. Notice, there's no descendants they die without any descendants. And so we have Eleazar and Ithamar. Keep those two sons in mind because there's something unique about that. Um, Eleazar has the, the line of the priests for the most part, but Ithamar comes into play a little later on. So Eleazar fathers Phineas. Phineas fathered Abishua. It goes on, Abishua fathered, here's some of my favorite names in all of Chronicles, Buki. And Buki, he fathered Uzi. He had a very rapid-fire presentation. <laughs> and if you got that one, then you understand my humor. Uzi fathered Zechariah. Zechariah fathered Marioth. It goes on, Marioth fathered Amariah. Amariah fathered Atatub. We, I can't. A hot tub. A hot tub? Okay, that works, too. And... Atatab fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Amahaz, and it goes on. Amahaz fathered Azariah, Azariah fathered Jonathan. Jonathan fathered Azariah, who served as priest in the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Okay, let's stop for just a second and back up and follow along just a little bit of what's happening in the midst of, uh, of all of this uh, moment. The line from Eleazar has the high priest. But somewhere along the line, for some reason that we don't have recorded, we just don't know, but for some reason, it passes to the line of Ithamar. And by the time we get to King David, 
right here, Abiathar and Zadok are serving under David as almost a co-high priest by the implication of, of the scriptures that we've already seen as we've gone through Samuel and through Kings. Abiathar has almost the de facto high priest and superior position there. But we know and we learn that he sides with Adonijah. And Solomon, in response to that, deposes Abiathar as high priest. He retires him. His son, Abiathar's son, Jonathan, actually served David and brought word of what was going on with Adonijah. But that high priestly effort dies and is gone. And Zadok takes over as high priest. One of the important things as we're going through this genealogy is to see the machinations, for lack of a better term, of what's going on within the kingdom. And as we get to Zadok, who served with David, the high priestly line comes back into where it started from with Eleazar, and it goes forward. Now, we've got a lot of names, and the names have been coming in and out, and it's just been talking about the line, the line of high priest. It is moving through the family of Aaron. It never left the family of Aaron. That's important to see. The word of God, and that it has to be from the family of Aaron, never, ever changed from that. But with Zadok, it comes back, and it's son after son after son, until we get to Azariah here in verse 10. What's different at verse 10, Kevin? Uh, the temple is erected, so he serves in the temple instead of the tabernacle. Right. Uh, we saw a couple of chapters ago where the chronicler stopped and made sure that we understand a moment of holiness. This is a moment of holiness. Azariah is, uh, was priest and did something you know, in the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem, which we read that first, we kind of go, well, duh, they're all serving in the temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. But what's important here is the holiness that Azariah shows. Second Chronicles chapter 26, and we don't need to go there, but take a look at the reference in Second Chronicles 26, verses 16 to 21. King Uzziah assumes the office of priest, and he is attempting to burn incense in the temple. He comes in, and he's going to burn incense. He's taking over the role of the priest. And the group of priests come in. Uh, actually, here it is that, Kevin, thank you so much. He became strong. This is Uzziah. He grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord his God by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar, the group of priests came around and they said, stop. And Azariah is the priest, along with 80 brave priests of the Lord, that went in after him and they stopped him. They said, Uzziah, you have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests, the descendants of Aaron, everything we've been talking about here, have the right to offer incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have acted unfaithfully. You will not receive honor from the Lord your God. And he didn't. So this is 
this is really, if Ezra is the author of First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, this is a shout out to one of his brothers saying, you have done what is holy and have protected the integrity of God. Notice, always pointing towards the holiness of God. And that's kind of something to see. Azariah, going on with verse 11, he fathered Amariah. Amariah fathered Adatub. There's the hot tub guy. <laughs> and, and it goes on. Adatub fathered Zadok, Zadok, Zadok. Another Zadok. There's multiple Zadoks. And that's one of the hard things in all of that. Zadok fathered Shalom. Shalom fathered Hilkiah. Hilkiah fathered Azariah. Hilkiah is another one that stands out. He's the priest that found the book of the law and brought it to Josiah. We give all the credit to Josiah because he actually acted on it, but Hilkiah is the one who found it. He goes, hey, look what I found. I'm trying to believe (laughs) that they could serve and not find the law. They lost the word of God. Uh, That just strikes my heart. But he brought it out, and and that's good to be seen. Azariah then fathered Sarariah, Sarariah fathered Jehozadak. What great names. Sarariah was high priest during the reign of Zedekiah. That's the last of the king. He was sent as a prisoner to Nebuchadnezzar who killed him. Jehozadak was carried to Babylon as a prisoner. Verse 15 says he went into exile when the Lord sent Judah and Jerusalem into exile at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God's in charge, and they go off into exile. Now, this whole line of the high priests, I had been told that because you have to have somebody of the tribe of Aaron, this element of genealogy even has importance today. I'm told, and I did some research, and it's beyond my full understanding, but that they've even found DNA that points back to Aaron because they're trying to find the family and anybody in the family line of Aaron. Genealogy has importance simply from the aspect of following out the word of God, pointing to the holiness of God, pointing to the consistency of God, pointing to the promise of God. This is important because God said it's important. The chronicler then says, well, this is kind of this ending moment for our genealogy. It's going to carry on and he's going to pick it up a little bit later because it does point and does get back to Ezra and, and bringing back into the Holy Land. But there's, there's a whole lot of obscure names that go on from this point forward. Uh, men who lived, men who died, who carried on the role given them by God and eventually come back to reestablish the temple. If you notice, and if you go through verses 17 to 26 and, and, and 27 and 28, there's a whole lot of obscure names, and several times the name Elkanah appears. Let's go to verse 27. We have his son Eliab, this is part of the line, and his son Jeroham, and his son Elkanah. This is the first of, a, of several times that it appears, and this one is the father of Samuel the prophet. This is where Samuel comes in. And notice, never named Samuel, but in verse 28, here comes Samuel's sons. His firstborn, Joel, and his second, Abijah. Um, 
they were unfaithful to the Lord. If we remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they became corrupt, they accepted bribes, and that was used as an excuse by the people to get the earthly king that they wanted. It's not a great ending in the midst of all of this, and yet it's important because Elkanah, and it's going to lead on, here we go, Elkanah to Samuel. Samuel's son is Joel. Joel's son is Heman. Even though there's been a, a corruption, the grandson is going to come and play an incredibly important role. Verse 31, let's jump there for a second. As you see how this starts to come together. These are the men David put in charge of the music in the Lord's temple after the ark came to rest there. The focus of this whole section is on the musicians who are going to lead in the tabernacle and eventually lead in the worship in the temple. As the ark moves into Jerusalem, this is only in Chronicles as far as how this all gets pieced together. This is one of those unique elements of Chronicles. But David had this deep commitment to music, and he makes sure that there are musicians in, in place to carry that on. And it's evidenced by his writings he, in, in Psalms and the fact that he played the lyre. And then he includes them as an important part of pointing towards the holiness of God. Verse 32, they ministered with song in front of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, until Solomon built the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, and they performed their task according to the regulations given to them. The first one of these, in verse 33, these are the men who served with their sons. From the Kohathites, He-Man the singer, son of Joel, son of Samuel. He-Man is the first one, and he is chief. In fact, we're going to see that he is even articulated as being in the center. And then it goes through his whole line, so it shows it all the way back to Levi. Uh, He-Man is actually the one who is attributed to have written Psalm 88. It's an incredible opportunity to see. But then there's a second one. It's sometimes said He-Man's relative, sometimes uh, the translation He-Man's brother in verse 39 was Asaph who stood at his right hand. So here we have He-Man in the center. We have Asaph at his right hand. He's from the tribe and the family of Gershom, the clan of Gershom. We see that in verse 43. Asaph is the one that gets really known in Psalms because while this is his first mention and he's at the right hand of He-Man, this is a guy who writes. And he actually is recorded as... um, writing multiple psalms, Psalm 50, and all the psalms of 73 through 83 are attributed to him and are ascribed to him. He was also chief of the ceremony in 1 Chronicles 16. We're going to see him, and we're going to see him several times in 2 Chronicles, but he was chief of the ceremony for bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and he's playing the cymbals. He is crashing the bronze cymbals as they bring the Ark into Jerusalem. Let me get to the third of this group, and then I want to look back at the painting. On the left, so He-Man's in the center, Asaph is on the right, and he's the writer, but he's also the symbol clanger. On the left is from Merari's clan. Verse 44, on the left, their relatives were Merari's sons, Ethan, son of Kishi, son of Abdi, son of Malak. 
So here's the third of these great leaders, one from each of the clans. Ethan gets renamed. He's only called Ethan a couple of times in Scripture. You'll see him more often recorded as Jedthuthun. Um, and I hopefully said that right. He doesn't write any psalms, but he has three psalms that are dedicated to him. Two by David and one by Asa. Uh, psalm 39, Psalm 62, Psalm 77. And this is the arrangement of the three singers, and that's going to carry on and is even mentioned into the time of Nehemiah. And it's not just singing, they're also doing trumpets and they're doing cymbals, and they are praising God with anything and everything they can. They bring this forth, and I just absolutely love in Mindy's painting how she brought this out. Uh, as we got her in instructions and the picture that she has, this particular bird, every bird, and there's 12 of them, represents a tribe of Israel. This bird is not Judah. This bird is Levi. The tribe of Levi led in the procession, led in the music, led in the praising, and in that element of pointing towards the holiness of God. She put the, the lyre here because, you know, David played the lyre. We know how David used that with the whole element of King Saul and chasing away the, the, the tormenting spirit. So there's an element that here beside the king is the lyre because that's part of his heritage. But I want you to see that even here in Chronicles, there's painting the picture that we're going to see breathed into and lived out that right beside the king is the praise to the Lord Almighty. Right there beside him. And it's incredibly important to see that lived out and breathed into. And it's by lyre, it's by trumpets, it's by cymbals, it's by song, it's by the, the depth of, of all of, of, the, of the psalms, all pointing to God. In fact, in David's time, we're going to see uh, about chapter 23, verse 5, I think. There's like 4,000 Levites designated to temple service. They're doing all that work, which leads into what's coming next here in the midst of First Chronicles 6. Their relatives, verse 48, the Levites, were assigned to all the service of the tabernacle, God's temple. Here's going to come this following of all the duties of the Levites and all those that are going to do it. There's a lot of work to go into. And so uh, if you're running the, the tabernacle, if you're running the, the temple either way, there's, that's not just the musicians. They're seen, they're heard from. But hey, there's everything around running a temple sacrifice, payrolls, uh, cleaning, animal inspection, crowd management, security, information services, taking care of all that's going on. It is incredible. Uh, even within the context of the church, so many times we, we focus on the pastor. I can't do what I do without having uh, the support people. I mean, our custodian is absolutely phenomenal. We've been blessed to have so many. You guys, what happens behind the scenes with all of Revived School and how much is put together, it takes a huge amount of work and effort, and the Levites are doing it. And whether or not they're in front playing the cymbals and playing the trumpets and singing the songs, 
or whether they're taking care of the animals and cleaning up after the animals. It is all part of the efforts to point to the holiness of God, pointing to the son of David. That's what it's all about. And it goes on for a long time. But before we lose any of that track, I want to go to verse 54. Because to do that, they were spread throughout the entirety of the land. Verse 54 says, These were the places assigned to Aaron's sons from the Kohathite family for their settlements in their territory because the first lot was for them. What follows here in these next verses, and let's put the map up, is the designation of the Levitical cities. And it goes along with the cities of refuge, but the Levites are scattered throughout the entirety of the land to help minister. They're there to also point towards uh, the holiness of God. This goes back to the curse that was on the tribe of Simeon and the tribe of Levi. We talked about Simeon a couple of lessons ago. But here is the tribe of Levi, and they were told that they were going to be scattered because of their involvement with the men of Shechem. That's in Genesis chapter 34. But because the tribe of Levi was faithful in the whole scandal and rebellion that came around the golden calf, if you remember that coming out of the Red Sea, because they stepped up, they were scattered, but in a whole different way. The tribe of Simeon was scattered as a curse. The tribe of Levi, because they redeemed themselves, the word of God stayed consistent. They were scattered, but they were scattered as a blessing. And so they're given regions, and each tribe goes to a different location. Kohathites received the cities in the south, covering the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and, and, uh, uh, and some of Ephraim. The Gershomites are up in the north with Issachar and Asher and Naphtali. The Merorites are on the east side of the Jordan River. And they're going to have their cities allocated in Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. So they are going to be responsible in those areas as Levites to make sure that God's law is still there and obeyed in those areas. They may not be at the tabernacle. They may not be at the temple, but their ministry and their commissioning still carries through and through the entirety of the land. We learn uh, later on in Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, that some of the Levites had a distinct teaching ministry. They actually taught the common people. And it's important for us to see all of that. This is the tribe of Levi, and there's so many names, and it goes through all the different locations of all of their uh, placement and what cities were where and who was where and which tribe was where. I don't want to go into that, but I want you to see this, that here among the chosen people was a consecrated tribe. Within this consecrated tribe was a particular family, and that family formed the priesthood. That whole tribe was to point to to the Messiah. And a provision was made from the beginning and unto the end of worship and sacrifices and to model for us devotion to God. Some of them got it well. Some of them didn't. But as we look at this entire family, 
And the, the heartbeat of Ezra is to reestablish where they need to be. Because the worship of God, the pointing to all that God is, it was so incredibly important. And there's a uniqueness. Notice we had priests. We had those doing temple duties. We had musicians. We had those teaching out all over the land. There's a uniqueness to each and every calling. We are hands, feet, mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We may not be Levites, but we're called to the same calling that they've received to give glory to the Most High King, for us to give praise to the Son of David. I'm in awe. I'm in awe of what they were called to do. I'm in awe of what they did. And I'm blessed by it and challenged by it. We continue on with the genealogy as we go into 1 Chronicles chapter 7. Let's see what God's got in store for us tomorrow. Tomorrow. 